0: you're listening to the One Hope Church podcast. The following audio is from the weekly gatherings of One Hope Church in Orlando, Florida. We pray that you'll be encouraged and challenged as you listen. All right, well, uh, my name is Justin, the pastor here. It's good to be with you all tonight as we are heading into Christmas week. And so, um, you know, it's Advent, anticipation of the coming of Jesus, and uh, it's the Christmas season. And if you're like me, you have n- memories from growing up, just warm memories of Christmas and all that it represents and this joy and this warmth. And so some of you are really good at decorating your houses inside and out. And, um, you know, we're okay. We did. I put up my lights finally because my daughters just wouldn't let me sleep. And so I put them up. And so I put them up, and they come to find there's, of course, a section missing in the middle that are out. So our house... Looks uh, not the best, uh, but but the thought of Christmas and um, so we do we put our tree up and all that stuff. And a couple mornings ago, I was just sitting there and and I just wanted to see more Christmas. So you know you can go on YouTube and you can find a nice fireplace and and Christmas tree. I think we have a picture here uh, maybe. And uh, and I was just looking at this at this video with music and fire. And you look at this and I don't know. I look at this and I just there's this feeling of joy and warmth and peace. And it's kind of this this Christmas spirit, this season, right, where we can turn down all of our troubles and we can just enjoy family and friends and gifts. And it's kind of this this beautiful reprieve of of everyday life, right? Do y'all feel that? I mean, I have a lot of good memories growing up for Christmas and there's just feeling, right, that comes with it. And the beautiful thing is this promise of Christianity is that we can live with this kind of joy and peace and love the other 364 days of the year. See, this season is meant to teach us about who God is and what it means to walk with him. And so um, this this season will come and go, but the promise of Jesus is that he will abide with us every day. And so the question is, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? And so we've been in this series called Friendship with God. We've been looking at John 13 to 17, going verse by verse, looking at what does it mean to be a friend of God? What does it mean to walk with God and, and grow in our intimacy with him? And this really is the key to Uh, walking with Jesus, the Christian life. as our lives are going to be fraught with troubles and anxieties and loss and grief, but there's still hope, there's still joy, there's still love. There's this promise of these things. And in some ways, Christmas, uh, the the season, really is a picture of that last day, that final day, when we're all in uh, heaven and we're enjoying the light of Jesus that lights up the city, just like our Christmas trees light up our living room. There's this beautiful picture this hope that we can all uh, live towards where there'll be no more sickness or death or sin or any of that stuff. And so that's the kind of hope that we can live with all throughout the year and all throughout our lives. And so as we come to this uh, closing, the, this section of teaching in John 16, we're going to close out John 16. And the very last verse, John sixteen thirty three. you may be familiar with, um, but it's one of the most perplexing, um, troubling, and comforting verses in all the Bible. So let me show it to you. Jesus is finishing his teaching. He says, I have said all these things to you, that in me you may have peace. And in the world, you uh, in the world you will have tribulation. But take heart; I have overcome the world. And so, how does this work—to have peace and joy, and also have affliction and trouble in our lives? How is that possible? How is that true? How can we live in the midst of sorrow? How can we have joy in our sorrow? Is the question for us today? What does that look like? How do we live that way? There's this promise of affliction and trouble, yet this promise of joy. And so I want to explore, what does that look like? uh, And what is the answer? What unlocks the key to this kind of living? And so that's what we're going to look at in uh, John 16 today. We're going to be in John 16, verses 16 to 33. So I'd encourage you to go there in your Bibles and follow along. Let me pray for us, and then we will um, jump into the text. So Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for the Word of God, the greatest gift of your salvation and presence with you. And I pray right now that you would minister to us through your Word, through the power of your Spirit, as we gather tonight. Holy Spirit, come and just be with us. And so we give you this time. We love you. We praise you. And we pray all this in your name, Jesus, and by your Spirit. Amen. Well, if you are here last time, we... Um, we hit the section of John 16 where he's talking about the Holy Spirit, this great gift that we get. And it was a little theological, but we talked about the different roles, the different things that the Holy Spirit does. And then he takes a turn here to to kind of summarize and and finish up his teaching. So beginning in verse 16, he says this, A little while you will see me no longer, and again, a little while you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, "Uh, What is this that he says to us, a little while you will see me, and a little while you will see me? you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We've all been wondering that for 2,000 years. What is a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, a little while you will see me, and again, a little while, geez, you will not see me, and again, a little while you will see me. See how confusing this is? This is why he had to put it in here three times so we could get it. What is he saying? And so what are the disciples doing? They don't know what Jesus is talking about. Say, what is this little while we won't and then we will see him? What is he talking about? And they're talking amongst themselves here. And we got to remember, they don't know what happens, right? I mean, Jesus said what's going to happen, but they don't know. We know the story, right? We know what happens. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to rise three days later. We may be too familiar with the story, but the disciples are sitting there. They don't understand this. They can't fathom that Jesus is actually going to be dead within a day. And they furthermore can't fathom that he would rise from the dead. And so they're trying to figure out what does he mean? What is he talking about? And I think the point is this, for us, we often don't know what God is doing, right? He may tell us or give us some indication, but we're like the disciples are trying to figure out what, what how long is this going to be? What does he mean by this? What does the word mean by this? I feel like God has led me this way, but I'm not sure. And so we get confused. We're not sure how God is, is working and, and notice what Jesus does. He invites them in the conversation. He says, are you guys talking about this thing I just said? He invites them into the conversation. And so for us, there's an invitation for us. So, so the first step is we try to answer, how do you have joy in, in sorrow? The first step is, well, we got to talk to Jesus about it. we are got to talk to Jesus about our confusion. When things happen, uh, when the world hits us and we don't understand, the first thing we do is talk to God. And so often we're so busy in our lives that we forget to do that. We forget to pray. And we forget to have conversations. And often that just may be conversations with Other believers or other people, and God will often speak through our brothers and sisters and our friends. And so we need to talk about it. We need to have community around us. We need to pray. We need to say, say, God, I don't understand this. I'm confused about what's happening. I don't understand why these things are happening. And so Jesus, because he loves them, he answers them. Here's what he says in verse 20 Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow. Will turn into joy. So notice what Jesus does here. He doesn't sugarcoat, he tells them the truth. He says, It's about to get bad. You're going to weep. You're going to lament. You're going to grieve. It's going to be very hard. And notice he says, And the world will rejoice. So have you ever had that experience where you're just having a bad time or something happens, but other people are celebrating? It makes you feel even worse. The disciples are about to have their worlds turned upside down, and they are going to grieve. They're going to be in shock. But the promise is your sorrow will be turned to joy in this great reversal. Now notice also, the text doesn't say this, but we know this. In the end, not only are are the disciples' sorrow going to be turned to joy, but the world's rejoicing is going to be turned to great sorrow on that final day when the truth is revealed. Okay? So there's a great reversal. So Jesus goes on. He says, that's like a woman giving birth. Look at 21. Verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has come into, uh, has been born into the world. Now we can understand this just like they could understand this. And their they, they didn't have modern medicine, anesthetics, all that stuff. Um, it was really painful. It's really painful today. Amen, women? I mean, I've never had a baby, but I've been in the room four times now, and it sure looks painful. And, I, and I'm going, this is, this is terrible. Thank you, God, um, that I uh, don't have to give birth. Uh, but women, they go through, they understand this pain, right? And what's Jesus saying? He's saying the contractions, the labor, the pain, it's all pointing to something. Okay, there's a purpose in the pain is his point. And for a woman in labor, the purpose, the joy, the goal is new life. This is the promise. So he's given us this analogy so we understand. See, this is like a paradigm of the Christian life. You're going to go through pain and affliction in your life. You will have affliction, he says, but take heart, have courage, because the pain is all pointing to something. Okay, what is the pain pointing for? That's the question we wrestle with in our lives. Why am I going through this? Why the pain? Why the suffering? Well, what's the answer for Jesus? Look at verse 22. He says, in summary, So also, you're going to have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. So how how does sorrow get transformed into joy? He says it right there. You will see me again. You see, it's the resurrection. The resurrection has the power to transform sorrow into joy. That's what he's saying. It's going to be really hard for the next three days. I mean, think about what they're about to witness. Again, we know the story. They don't. Jesus is about to be arrested, betrayed by one of their own, a man that they trusted. He's going to be arrested. They're going to flee. They're going to watch him under trial, be scourged and beaten and crucified and die. They're going to lose their leader, their friend, their Lord. You guys ever lost anything? Lost anyone close? That's the kind of grief. Yet, that is going to be totally undone by the resurrection. The power of the resurrection. This is where the power comes to have joy and sorrow. Resurrection transforms their sorrow into joy. And again, it's a paradigm of the Christian life. Because all of our pain is pointing towards something. Because of the resurrection, all of our suffering um, has meaning. Because of the resurrection, it means that suffering and affliction isn't the end. It means there's hope. It means, as Deidre shared a couple weeks ago, we don't suffer as those who don't have hope. This is the power of the resurrection. This is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. And he's saying that in that day, you're not going to ask anything of me. See, the resurrection is going to make sense of their questions. They're not going to wonder anymore, what is this little while, and and what does this mean? They're going to see him in person. So he says, you're not going to ask me on that day about this. The resurrection gives clarity to our lives. And this is the source of joy. This is the source of joy that we can walk with daily, not just at Christmas time, but daily all throughout our lives. And so this is his point. The resurrection transforms sorrow into joy. And then we ask, well, what are the implications? What does this mean? Because the resurrection of Jesus was then, and then he goes to heaven, and those who believe in Jesus partake in his resurrection. And so for us, the resurrection starts now. Resurrection power and resurrection life starts now. And I have to understand what this means. Now, a couple months ago, we looked at John fourteen 19. I'll read it here for you, because he says almost the same thing there, and he's making the same point. He says, yet in a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. You get that? Because I live, you also will live. So for those who are trusting in Jesus and believing in Jesus, we're united to him in his death and his resurrection. And because he rose, we now live with a new power and a new life. And so what the resurrection does is it brings clarity to our lives. It brings, um, as we talk about living in the power of the resurrection, there's four things we see here. And the first is clarity. It brings clarity. Okay. It ignites our prayer life and we have direct access to God and it helps us in our failures. And so we see these in the next couple of verses here. So again, the first thing here, you have greater clarity. Verses 23 uh, and 24. He says, in that day, you will ask nothing of me. In what day? Well, in the day that he's resurrected. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of uh, ask of the Father in my name, He will give to you. Until now, you have uh, asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, I think there's two things going on in this verse, and the first is greater clarity, and the second is prayer life. And what you don't see in English is there's two different words for the word "ask" in these two verses. Okay, the first is, in that day, you will ask nothing of me, and the word there means to ask to request information, to ask questions about something. And he said, in that day, you're not going to ask me about this anymore. It's going to make sense. The second one says, whenever you ask the Father in my name, that is a different Greek word, and it means to request something or to de- even to demand something. And this is always the word that's used with praying in the name of Jesus. All right? So what he's saying here, living in the power of the resurrection because Jesus rose and we're united to him, means we have greater clarity on things. The resurrection gives clarity to our lives. As I said, suffering is no longer the end. There's a purpose in our pain. And number two, we can now have powerful prayer. We can pray in the name of Jesus. And we said weeks ago when we focused on what does that mean, we said it was by virtue of our union, our relationship with him, our connection with God. That we can pray with power. We can pray in the name with his authority and with his heart. And the third thing we see is it gives us direct access to God. So verse 25 and 26 and 27 I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name, and I do not say that, you will, that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you loved me, and have believed that I came from God. What is he saying here? He's saying, I'm going to tell you plainly about the Father. And when you ask, You can ask the Father directly. The language there is that we have this intimate union with with God. It's through Jesus that the Father hears us, but we're able to speak directly to Him. And of course, at the end of the age, we'll all be in the presence of the Father and the presence of the Lamb. And it'll be a beautiful thing. And so this has a greater fulfillment in the last day. So because of this access to God that we have, and our prayer in the name of Jesus in greater clarity, we can live with this kind of joy because of the resurrection. And it's the same thing that Paul says in Hebrews 4:16. It says, "Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need." So our whole relationship with God has been altered because of the resurrection. And finally, faith uh, over our failures. Even when we fail to follow Him or to trust Him, the resurrection is more powerful than our failures. Look at verse 28 here. He kind of summarizes everything he said. I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world, and I'm going to the Father. Then he goes on, well, his disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Right? So they make a confession. Hey, that's great. Good job. What does Jesus say? This is a question. He says, verse 31, Do you now believe? And the question there is kind of a, I know you're saying that, but, but do you really believe? Do you really, sometimes we overstate where we think we are, and, and you know, I'm going to do this for God or do that for God. And Jesus says, okay, verse 32 here, He says, do you, do you believe, verse 32, behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered each to his own home and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. So they said, yes, Jesus, we believe who you you are, who you say you are. But within hours, they're going to scatter. They're going to fail him. Peter's going to deny him. He's going to weep bitterly. And Jesus is saying, because of the resurrection, I've overcome that. Even your failure. See, it's not about your successes. It's about Jesus' successes. It's not about your righteousness. It's about Jesus' righteousness. See, it's not the strength of our faith. It's the object of our faith. It's who Jesus is and what he's done that we trust in. And that gives us comfort, that gives us joy. And so that brings us to his summary here, verse 33. I have said all these things that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or affliction. But take heart, I have overcome the world. How did he overcome the world? Through his resurrection. And resurrection gives us clarity. It gives us meaning in our suffering. It gives us hope in our despair. And it can transform sorrow into joy. And so what does this actually look like in your life? How can you actually live out of this power, out of this joy? Because you're going to have affliction. And I'll just talk about this week. Some, sometimes you have weeks uh, as a preacher. And your sermon is kind of written uh, through, through your week and through what you experience. And so this week for us, it was just a difficult week. Uh, we just had a lot of things going on with kids, end of the year, school stuff, and then sickness hit our house, and um, so we had sick kids going around, and you know how that goes if you've got four kids, and Elise and I were just tired, and we're just trying to make it through, and there was just some really hard discouraging moments, and there was one point where um, I was just talking to Elise, and, um, and she, she was just handling it different than I was, and I don't remember what she said, but it just struck me that she wasn't, like, discouraged by this. She was just continuing on. And, and we were talking, and I was talking to God, and then I remembered something that I'd already learned. And it's really simple. It's just that I can choose to praise and thank God, no matter the circumstance. And this is a choice that we make. It's not saying, I like this, but literally just verbalizing it in my prayers. God, I thank you, and I praise you. For this, this is hard. Sick kids, tired, stress. I thank you, Lord, and I praise you, and I trust you. like, so how can I say that? Well, because of the resurrection. Because there's good in this. Because there's purpose in the pain. There's purpose in the hardship. There's purpose in the suffering. And in time, in in God's timing, we will realize what that is. And I also realized that this was the best way to. To, to battle against the enemy and to battle against the world and say, I thank you and I praise you, God, in the midst of whatever this is. And, and maybe that for you, you can do that because that doesn't make sense to the world. How can you thank God for suffering and hardship? See, this is supernatural. This is resurrection power. And the Lord brought to mind the story of Job, which you're probably familiar with. And you, read, you open the book of Job and there's all this stuff happening under, you know, in the spiritual realm and the counsel of God and all this stuff. And so often things are happening in our world and we don't understand why. And so Job loses a great deal. He loses his kids. He loses his property. And, and we read this in Job to 22 Job arose and he tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground and he worshipped. I mean, think about something you've lost. I mean, he lost all of his kids, all of his property, great wealth. His response was to worship. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And I think, man, I want to pray like that. I want to have that kind of faith. No matter what happens, I'm worshiping him. But then it gets worse in chapter 2. He then comes down with sickness and sores, and he's just miserable. And his wife tells him to just curse God already and die. And here's Job's response. in Verse 10, he said to her, You speak as one, uh, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, it's not saying that God is this, the author or the source of evil, but God allows things to happen. We can't deny that, right? And so we know that that Job's story, he suffered greatly. And then for 35 chapters, he's questioning and wondering and waiting on what is God doing? And that feels like so much of our life, walking with Jesus. We're not really sure what's happening under the surface. We're we're suffering. uh, We have things happening to us we don't understand. We're asking questions. And then at the end, God shows up in glory and reveals himself to Job. And Job says, and I'd heard of you. But now I know, now I've experienced your glory and your sovereignty and your goodness. And it changed him. And then at the end of the story, the Lord blessed him and gave twice as much. And so it's kind of this picture of, again, this eschatological view that in the end, those who follow Jesus, we will be rewarded with, with far more than we could imagine. And so we have hope, again, because of the resurrection, because of the resurrection of Jesus. So here's Jesus' final statement again. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so the first question is, have you believed in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for you? That's where it starts. And if you're here and you haven't trusted him yet, do it today. And I'd love to to talk with you. If that's you, come find me. I'll be up here after. I would love to talk with you. And if you have followed Jesus, the question is, are you experiencing the power of resurrection in your life? Are experiencing that kind of joy, that kind of love? You say, well, how do I do that? It's everything that we've been saying and seeing in this section. It begins with our relationship with Jesus and talking to him and spending time with him and growing that friendship and intimacy with him. And it will become more like him. And so that is the hope that we have. That we could take heart, that we could take courage, that we have this peace of Jesus in our life, trusting that he is overcome by his resurrection. And therefore we can overcome because we're in him. And so let me close us in prayer. invite the worship team to come up here. Father, we thank you for the truth of the resurrection. And I pray that it would be powerful in our lives, that it wouldn't just be uh, a doctrine that we know about, but that it would have effect in our life. And that we would grow in our hope, in our experience, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask you to come and minister now to us as we continue to worship through song, as we worship uh, all throughout the week, Lord. I pray that you would just be with us and give us a, a heart to know you and to walk with you and to talk with you and to experience your power and your presence in our life. And so God, we love you. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus, and by your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the One Hope Church podcast. We encourage you to share what you've heard in conversation with family, friends, classmates, and coworkers. To connect with us or learn more, visit wehaveonehope.com.